Podcast. And it's time for the weekly Q&A that we call Splunk Talk. Episode number 47, recorded Friday, June 24th, 2011. Ah, maybe we give this title low and slow. Hmm, what does that mean? We'll give a little bit of a chat about that, talk about users groups. All this week on Splunk Talk. Let's do this. What is up, Maverick? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. You sound like you're doing good. I, I, I can't complain for a Friday. I bet you could, though. Like if somebody ran into you, like rear-ended you, you'd complain. Yeah, but that already happened. I got my rear end uh, fixed, so. Oh, you know what would be kind of funny is, like, if I just did this at the end. (laughs) (laughs) What was it? What was it? Liposuction? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was just a crack that had to be filled. It was like they just, when they they rear ended me. (laughs) Oh, no. No, I mean, in the bumper, in the bumper of the car, it had a crack across it. Because it's a fiberglass one, you know, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Did that come across wrong? <laughs> I'm like, how are you doing? So gross. I'm doing very good. I'm doing good today. I'm a little tired. Tired? Yeah, I'm a little tired. I, yeah, despite having died Pepsi rolling through my system. I don't know. Anyways, um, Maverick is in Dallas, Texas. Plano to be exact, right? That's correct. And uh, the, the ninja, Michael Wilde, is in Austin, Texas, just about two or three hours south of Dallas. I am. You know what? I know that for a fact because I drove to and fro last weekend from from Austin to Plano to Austin. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, you, were, thr- you were up here and you didn't even call me. Okay. That's it good. It was thrilling. You know what? And I wanted to stop by the Texas Rangers Museum in Waco, but I didn't have time. I will do that one day. No, no. Dr. Pepper. You want to stop at the Dr. No, Pepper Museum? I cannot Museum. stand Dr. Pepper. But, you, but the museum My wife cool. loves it. Okay. So I would do it for her. Okay. Okay. You can actually get real Dr. Pepper out of like one of those. I, I, re- I should like queue up meatloaf. I would do anything for love right okay. here because I don't want, I don't even want Dr. Pepper in my viewing area. Oh, and no. I'm sure this is going to generate no hate mail, but that's okay. That's my thing. I don't like Dr. Pepper. You don't have to drink Diet Pepsi. Okay. Yeah. That's that true. being okay. said, ergo, uh, all right. Ergo. So we're, ergo, ergo, ergo. We're going to talk about a few things today. Um, we we did a Splunk users group in Austin this week, and I want to kind of give a wrap up on how that went and give some people some tips on user groups. But before we do that, Maverick, yeah, we had a question come in, and you know what? This is going to be a little okay. If you're interested in security and the topic of slow scan, you know what a slow scan is? Uh, yeah, I think I do. Yeah. Okay. Slow scan. Instead of like 80,000 hits per second or someone port scanning, they'll do it like once every couple of days, thinking that you won't notice. Sometimes they call that low and slow. Yeah. So we had a question from uh, someone that came up. It's been a while because, you know, this, is, this wasn't the average Hey, how do I do a regex question? Some of it was on the theory. And so let's let's start talking about this. It starts out like this. What I've seen is he's got some 
blocking right now from certain IP addresses that are pretty obvious, you know. But he said, what I've also seen are external IP addresses doing a slow scan, a scan that's been progressing for two weeks or more slowly. Let's say yeah. one port per external IP per hour or so, scanning for port 80 or 21 or something else. And he's something, something to exploit if it can. Yeah. Sure, yeah. And, you know, these are uh, a lot harder for average security tools to detect. The right. reason why that is is because, like, let's say the average SIM tool can only handle so many events in memory, and it can only e evaluate things in real time for a short period of real time. Whereas, you know, we got a pretty good tool that can let you do stuff over time. So he's worried about this, and he's sort of wondering, um, is there some searches that he can put in place to tell him about such scans progressing that are low in volume per hour per day, but they take a long time? So I know you were talking to uh, our friend Jens on the phone, or not on the phone, in email, and well, let's yeah, no, let's pick no, this I up just, and see where it goes. Yeah, no, exactly. I I I wasn't sure if this is something we wanted to even talk about or could talk about on a on a show like this uh, because it is a pretty broad topic. I mean, there's different ways to do this kind of uh, correlating or pattern recognition, and a lot of it it may be that you just need to get some data pieces so your brain can kind of figure out because like like I always say, you know, the intelligence and of the operational intelligence. Uh, that we that we tout is really in your brain. It's just a matter of getting the pieces uh, correlated in a way that your brain can figure it out. So, um, so one of the things I immediately thought of, and again, I'll just caveat this by saying I'm not in any way considered a security person, but from a logical kind of figuring out the problem perspective, I think that this make, made a lot of sense to me. And the way I thought about maybe tackling it was to say. Uh, you know, with Splunk, maybe I could do a sub-search like we talked about in other episodes, right? Do a sub-search first to try to find the uh, the IP addresses that are being, you know, considered uh, an unauthorized proxy use detected uh, event, right? Out of your... Um, out of your syslog, like you look for the look for that phrase or the unauthorized proxy, you know, like it's trying to access it or, or you know, exploit it or whatever, and the proxy's figuring it out and saying, nope, not gonna let you do it. Um, Take those, use that to get back, uh, like we've done before, like we talked about how we dedupe the uh, source IP that's associated with those events, and then, and then give, give me a table of just those, those guys, those unique, uh, that unique list. And then use that to search against your firewall logs, then, as the parent search, right? And then you do a, do a very interesting thing here. You, do, you, do, you pipe to stats twice. First, the first time you pipe to stats count... Um, and you uh, do it by the source IP and you do it by the date underscore M day, which means give me how many times um, I've been hit by the source IP in the, in, the, in the child search list that comes back, how many times I've been hit uniquely each day of the month. That's what date underscore M day is. Right, because that's, the, that's the, the, isn't date underscore M day, it's one of the indexed fields, and isn't it, actually it might be extracted, I'm not sure. But it's the day of the month, like the numeric day, right? Is that what M day means? That's, that's correct. Okay. That's correct. And then, and so we have a date underscore and a bunch of different ones. Day of the week, you know. Day W day. That's right. Day day W day day W uh, date underscore um, uh, hour M, uh, underscore hour. I think for the hour of the time. So you can use these these uh, extracted ones to do all kinds of cool time things. Uh, like we've talked about in other episodes too, but but in this case, I want to get it based on that, and then I want to pipe again to a stats count of those of those counts. And so, what I have to do on the first stats though is I have to say stats count as 
like hits or stats count as count one or someone may give it a name. And then when I do stats again, I say stats count parenthesis count one. So in other words, I count up those counts, right? So I get the unique hits per day, basically. If I split that second one out by the source IP, then I get source IP distinct hits um, uh, per day. And then I can see that, you know, like, let's say you do, if you want to really find a low and slow within 30 days, if I've have a particular IP that's been denied, um, 20 days out of the 30 days, then I know it's pretty consistent, but it's just kind of once a day maybe, or something like that. Um, and, or if I want to do a longer period, that's even more telling, let's say 90 days or 120 days and say, you know, which ones are being hit 60 days out of those 90 days or in 20, then I know that then, yeah, there is a pretty much a low and slow going on. That's what I think would work and give me something at least to go investigate those ones that are higher than the rest that are floating to the top. Um, because typically over a longer period of time, you would expect all those numbers to be quite low. Uh, maybe they're hitting you once or twice and they've been denied and that's it because it was an accident or it was just, it was something that was not uh, very intentional. But if the same source IP is kind of hitting me just kind of consistently over a longer period of time, then I would get a higher ratio. I'd get 50% of the time they're hitting me every other day and that kind of thing. So that's what I thought would be a good way to try to tackle it. You know, and, I, and that after I read your answer, because we were going back and forth on this, I was sort of thinking that another approach that one could do to this, because Jens wrote a pretty badass search as far as all the stuff he was looking for and filtering out, doing a bunch of deduping, and then he was doing some appending, and that all that would probably work. But I was wondering, I wonder if it's valuable to just take a step back. So let's say if, if, a low and slow is probably going to come from a single source IP or potentially a block of them. But let's just say it's a single source IP. Right. What one could do is one could take and do transactions. So grab your events, let's say from, you know, the past 90 days, pipe it to transaction on source IP. And then, uh, so that's, it's basically going to take every connection from each unique source IP and kind of lump them together. Um, now you got this big pile of hits, right? Well, yeah. what you could do is take, and I talked about this last week, and it was related to security, is count the number of hosts or potentially the number of ports, right? Count the number of hosts or ports. You'd probably want the number of hosts because then you'd at least see them hit multiple hosts. But count right. the number of hosts up, and you do that by piping that to eval, and then you use something called MV count. So you do MV count in the field. So you do like eval uh, host count equals MV multiple value, MV count, and then parens the field that you want. Let's say host. Yeah. And then you could pipe that to where host, host count is greater than one. That's a really simple example. But there's a chance it actually might be that simple. Okay. Yeah, it's um, possible. And you may still need to sub-search at first to get the list and then do that too right. to make sure that, you know, obviously, but the, uh, yeah, that's a good idea. And to make sure that they're, because they would probably most likely be probing different hosts each time they were denied or each time they were detected and it's an un uh, unauthorized proxy use. Which is fine if it's coming in from the same source IP because he is deduping on source IP there. So that also yeah. means that that is uh, an important uh, let's say vector for that particular search. Now, um, one of the well, one of the things though that I was thinking of because so back in his email, like he also asks, wait on the bottom. I caught this. He he was like, 
Is there a way that I can create it like a whitelist search for uh, particular hosts that um, ping us a lot? And yeah, I was, to, to, to take them out because you don't want those to be yeah. included. So yeah. here's what you might want to consider doing, Jens, is uh, we have a product called Enterprise Security Suite. This is not a sales pitch for it, okay? But one of the techniques that it uses is it creates, like you could think of them as little asset lists or databases or whatever. It's not really a database. But um, it will... Uh, it uses a set of CSV files, which we do which we commonly call lookups, okay? So there are things like, you know, usernames that you might add to as the prohibited list of default user accounts, okay? So you might have, have a, a list of that, okay? Or, you know, in ESS, it uses these CSVs to drive how the searches do because, you know, it would be really hard to maintain a search that had a whole list of this or that or this or that or that IP or that username. So if you have an external CSV, let's say right now you happen to know a big pile of IP addresses. You could put them in that CSV file and, you, and do what's called an input lookup. So you pipe input lookup that CSV file and that now sucks that CSV file and brings that thing in and you can use that for to drive the next search. Another thing you might want to consider is using output lookup. Okay, so output lookup allows you to take the results of a search, pipe it to output lookup, and then dump that to a CSV. Okay, so let's say you have a search running around looking for these like pings and other things, and you want to dump those to some list that now becomes your quote unquote whitelist or blacklist. And then you have another search, you use you do that with output lookup, you have another search that's actually going to use that list to do some other analysis. So you can persist, let's say, search results that you might have that might drive the input to other ones. So just look up input lookup and output lookup. And there's a lot of interesting ways that I've seen it being used, especially in our security product, so. Yeah, totally. And, and, and to be clear, output lookup is one word, right? Output lookup and input lookup is one word. And lookup is also one word. Um, right. But though they're also, there's search commands um, that are after a pipe. Input lookup is one of the few search commands that doesn't require anything before it other than a pipe. Yeah. You don't even have to have any, just go in there and you pipe input lookup. And I used it out at a customer uh, this year to pull back some information from an external network management tool. And then that would drive the search that we were looking inside of Splunk. So, yeah. Uh, very, very, that's very, very cool. Yeah. So, uh, and I thought it was very interesting. You're right. He did have a really nice search where he's doing a lot of ors. And, and the thing I, when I see searches that have ors in them, where you have a lot of different phrases with ors between them, it, it, you know, as part of your search, I always think of like, you know, having an event type or having a macro Correct. or event a type, macro yep. to put that into as well. To, so you can maintain mm -hmm. all those different things and makes it a little bit cleaner to, uh, you know, just, well, manageable, right. More manageable to be able to change the, the event type or change the macro uh, in one place and then be able to use it because you might, chances are if you have a list of hosts or list of patterns uh, like host names or patterns that you're going to, chances are you're going to use them over and over again especially if it's from a whitelisting or a blacklisting perspective, you're probably going to want to use the same blacklist in two or three, four searches kind of thing. So it's good to... Speaking of blacklists and stuff, our good friend uh, our good friend who has parrots no, parakeets. Right? Parakeets. Yes. Parakeets. Do I have, even have that parakeets? 
Uh, you're, talk, you're talking about fake. Talking about f fake Jeff. Fake no, Jeff. No, not fake Jeff. It was Nimish. Oh. Remember? Yeah, he was fake Jeff. I thought. Oh uh, yeah, I guess I I had the parakeet thing on here. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so, um, or I wanted to say no. It's he doesn't have parakeets. I think he has actually has African greys. Okay, if I recall. Regardless. Uh, no, I think they're parakeets. I whatever. talked recently. Dude, whatever. There's, birds. Some, there's some dude bird. He's got so birds. Nimish yeah. Doshi is he's a principal sales engineer here at Splunk, and he's like one of the prolific app writers. And he had written an app for um uh it's called Global Threat Landscape. Yes. You know, I, I want to say Dave Croto originally wrote that. Dave, Dave Croto, yeah, Dave Croto originally started it. Yeah. Okay, so Dave Croto wrote it. And Nimish went and updated it this week because we were using it out in an eval. Uh, and the use case out at the eval, the, this particular prospect, um, needed to take in the, the global threat landscape thing. It really comes from what's called the D-Shield list of like banned or watchable IPs. So there are going to be some you could think of as known bad guys or known bad IPs. And they were doing things like taking those bad IPs and then correlating them to the country that they were in. But what Nimish did is he updated this app, the Global Threat Landscape IP Watchlist app that's up there. And he right. created a macro in there that does correlation of bad IPs. So what the cool thing is it allows you to take a sor your source type and your IP field and correlate it against the D-Shield watch list. Now, what that means, your source type and your IP field means, let's say, maybe, for example, you have a blue code proxy, okay? And that's the source type. And the, 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 the IP field is, let's say, S underscore IP, okay? Oh, that's okay. You're, that this, the, by running this macro called correlate underscore bad underscore IP, you can put your source type and your IP field, and it'll automatically do the correlation to figure out if those things were on the watch list. And then, uh, you know, is there other activity like heading out to those, right? So, you know, something might be on a watch list would be like a bot server out there. And are your internal IPs communicating with those? And right. in this case, he basically did it all in one macro, which is pretty cool. He sent that to me earlier today. I was like, I got to mention that on Splunk Talk. So. <laughs> and I thought I had nothing to talk about today. Uh, what do you mean? You always have something to talk about. I don't know. I didn't have that many questions. We just, other than we that just one. yeah, but we just wind you up and then like let you go. <laughs> well, and we wind up wild and let him go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how that's we what they did this did. week. That's what I did this week. That's <laughs> okay. So, um, so let's. I do have a what I learned this week. However, uh, yeah, so so do so do I, and okay. then uh, and now we were going to talk about we're going to talk about user groups, user right. groups too, so, yeah, because because we're trying to get one here in Dallas, and I think we're probably going to end up doing one for sure. So what I want to talk about, uh, we had a user group meeting here in uh, Austin. Um, it was hosted at National Instruments, who is a customer of of uh, Splunk, and they make a whole lot of products and they use their website as like a big giant sales tool, which is kind of cool. I didn't realize they had so many apps that are on their public website, but I guess they serve a lot of different channels. Right. So, um, and the user group was, it was pretty, went pretty well. Uh, the interesting thing is I ordered like Rudy's barbecue for like 25 people. Oh, really? And we got like half of them to show up. 
<laughs> so what do you think me and my kids have been eating all week? <laughs> I was going to say, what did you, you didn't throw it out, man. That's Hell no, I took all that home, dude. <laughs> that's, some good, that's some good barbecue. Yeah, we, we just went to, those are Rudy's up here in Dallas, we found out on uh, Highway 35 or man. our tollway. Yeah. So that's so the user group, I mean, the user group was actually well received. You had some people showing yes. up and they and you all learned something or they all shared things. And It's interesting because this is the first user group that I've ever done or been a part of um and it's the first one that i ever kind of got going okay yeah. so i really didn't have uh a model of how to do this other than my own gut feel which i think right. was right and i'll explain why in a second but um so we we met it was it was about two hours i kind of had planned for two hours but knew that people might some people might leave after after one hour and and we had um you know, we we uh, I gave a presentation on kind of the user group, what you, uh, why why we're all here in this, why we're even having this meeting. You know, talked right. a little bit about like because you know the guys at Splunk made this, we became users, and we're sometimes out on an island, and we're all living in the same place, so we might as well get together and maybe learn something from each other. Sure. But, um, and uh, gave a little bit of an overview on myself and my background and all of that. And then just some guidelines for the user group as well that I had suggested. And and then we did this. Um, and I I actually seen one. I had participated. Actually, I'm wrong. I participated in one user group virtually last year. But our former community dude used to have everyone do this thing called uh, introduce yourself and talk about your Splunk aha moment. You know, so it kind of makes people That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, what what was the first thing that caused you, you know, caused you to want to get it? And of course, we had some new users there. So they're like, maybe I'll see it tonight. <laughs> well, that would be very interesting. I agree. That would be very interesting to find out because we all kind of assume that we all have the same one. But I bet we all have it in different ways for different reasons. That, that would be kind of interesting to a good way to kick it off, at least. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people were like. Just being able to search was awesome. Some people were stoked that they didn't have to have developers have access to machines and they could just give them a copy of Splunk and let them go. You know, when we got a, after we got done with the aha moment, I was sort of like, so what should we do now? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, although I knew I was probably going to end up nerding out. I said, you know, I could answer questions for you guys and gals. Yeah, you're totally guys and gals there. And I said, I also could give you sort of a lesson or a bunch of tips and tricks on how to optimize search, probably stuff you don't know about. And uh, they seem to be pretty cool with that, right? Because anytime you want to learn stuff about Splunk, you know, an older Splunker is a good guy to learn from. But here's some others. Here, so here's the sort of editorial about this whole thing, right? Um, we're a vendor, obviously. Uh, and... Sure, there's some benefit to the vendor to have like these meetings where users meet up and all of that. And, you know, a salesperson sure. comes and sort of listens and, you know, tries to figure out if they have a problem. And maybe there's a way to, you know, uh, get more business. Can't blame Splunk salespeople for trying to do that. But, what you know, the approach that I basically took here is, one, not going to have a lot of salespeople at these events. Two... I really wanted this to be a user-focused event, you know, for the user, of the user, and by the user. And if you're almost not, if you're not a user, almost don't even come. Okay. Anyways, we 
let the sales guys come because they generally pay for food. But <laughs> now it's 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 not the easiest thing to cultivate a user focused thing. It's easy for a vendor to get up and go, come to my meeting and I'll just talk to you. Well, yeah, from a marketing perspective, right? Yeah, right. Or, set it up. Yeah. And so, and I told the user group in the presentation, which I should probably put up somewhere so everybody can see how I did it. It was just really it was focused on user group, why we should have a user group, what the user group is made of, um, what it's going to be. be and, I, and I said, the one thing that, that we need to do is make this to be the Austin users group, not the wild show, okay? Yeah. Or the Splunk show, really. That, I, and I personally think it's going to take six to eight months if we go that long to really get to the point where everybody's sort of used to doing this and we have an agenda and it's really a moving sort of self-sustaining 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 right and i told him i'm like i'm happy to come to every single meeting i really would like to get it to the point where i'm a guest and not a required attendee and i think that's what a successful user group is really made of now one of the tactics the techniques that i chose to use is is not assuming that people want to come to another one of these ever again okay not assuming that when you start a user group, it is going to last forever. Giving right. people permission to end this thing at any point in time. So I told them at the beginning or in my presentation, I said, here, you know, obviously, here's some ground rules. Let's be courteous. Let's get an agenda. Let's someone host it and, you know, pick a location. But also at the end of every meeting, we vote to disband the user group forever. No, well, wait a minute. Back, right? why would wait? No, no. What, no, why would you do? Why would you vote to disband it? That doesn't make. Why would I vote to disband that, the user sounds, group forever? Yeah, you sound like you're messing with me now. I'm not messing with you. Okay, so what, what's the purpose of that? Because I, um, I think it motivates to dis- people to raise their hand and say, "No, don't end this." Because oh, if I ask okay. the question, "Hey, who wants to yeah, do the next no, one?" People uh, sometimes people will be like, "Yeah, I'll do it." Yeah, exactly. Right. And so you don't get complacency. You get people you get active, compl- actively saying, don't, okay, I, I totally get it. I mean, that's not a, actually, you know, that's not a bad thing. A couple of things. Here's, a so thing. a couple of pieces of advice. Anytime you're making a user group, try to really focus on the users. You will need a leader to start it. You will need to cultivate leaders in a user group. You will need to make it engaging. You will need to continually get people's permission to do this type of thing. Assume that they don't want to do it because the last thing you want to do is waste time doing something people don't want to do. And then this is something that we found that was trouble with Meetup is you got to have better ways for people to communicate. Okay. Where, I mean, like starting an email user, an email group. And another user uh, at the end of this was like, we should write this stuff down so we can tell other people what they missed. And that kind of sounds like a web page or a wiki, but everyone has to participate. The vendor, obviously, Splunk in my case, is more than happy to kind of get it going. But um, it's it's just it's stupid if it's just a vendor-only event. Then they're marketing events, and then you get better food, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and you don't really get a <laughs> choice really. on the topics. You just go there, and you'll probably learn things at marketing events. We have these things called Splunk Live. Those are cool events to go to because you get to see some totally really great stuff, and you get to meet some cool people there and actually have a lot better food. But... I'm a, a kind of a believer in cultivating the users, you know, like Tron. I fight for the users. So that right. was my experience. And, you know, and we're going to try to get another one going next month. If, if one doesn't happen, then that's great. 
And I say it's great because then it's of no use. But if right. one does happen, that's also great. So. Yeah, th- that's really cool. So we're going to try to get one up here in Dallas uh, also um, here pretty soon, maybe the end of July. But by the time you hear this, it'll probably be around the time you're hearing this episode. Uh, I think it'll probably be um, getting get it going already. But yeah, we look forward. I'm looking forward to it. So we'll just see if we can. Maybe I'll have to get you come up and do your presentation up here at this one too, the initial one too as well. Nah, I'm more than happy. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> All right, let's wrap this up with a what did we learn this week? Okay. You said I'll you had up. something. I do, I do. So do you do we talk I mean maybe we talked about this before. Do you know how many servers a deployment server can can uh, handle? Can like manage? Uh can I answer? Do you know what it is? I heard it's three hundred. No, three hundred clients? Okay. Three hundred is what we recommend. I had a customer actually say up to five hundred. Okay. Per instance. So you want to get multiple instances, maybe even on the same box, but but different instances so you can manage more than that for each one. But uh like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can, I guess you use the same directory structure, but you can have different instances, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like so a multiple. So you set up one server that basically has a bunch of deployment copies of Splunk running for deployment server. Will that work? Yeah, I, I, think, I think it will. I, yeah. I, it that's what I'm hearing is that this, uh, the customers that are answering, like, I posed this question because I was curious about it last week. And so I got, so I learned that. I thought that was pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, you know what I learned this week? This is badass. Okay. So at Splunk's user conference last year, uh, Caleb, Potterbin, and maybe Ashley, and somebody else. I don't remember. I have to, th- to like look. Deep, deep or something? Or? No, no, no. It was about, they give a presentation about web analytics and oh, yeah. how they use it internally. And then in January, when we were at our sales kickoff, Archana Ganapathy, who's one of our awesome PhD engineers, uh, she presented this web analytics alpha version of the app. And I've seen it before. And uh, I had somebody need some web analytics stuff this week. And I said, hey, can I have, do you have an updated copy of that app? And she's like, we're feature complete on a web intelligence app. Oh, really? Yes. So the web intelligence app does um, a whole lot of cool stuff. Uh, and it's really focused, if you think about it, it's called well, web intelligence instead of web analytics. They're what, they're beta testing it now then? or Well, um, it is, yeah, I guess it's kind of being tested in some way. But oh, the yeah, web intelligence app focuses on business and marketing. So you get things like platform, handheld platform usage, refers and keywords, assets, Google Maps of all this stuff, most popular URIs. Focuses on IT operations, like status codes and traffic patterns. There's real-time dashboards. There's even like the ability to compare time periods and chart results. You can create what's called a funnel. So you can see how people are heading through your site and where they're coming from. That's cool. There's custom dashboards, a massive pile of searches. And it's coming out at user conference and it's going to cost exactly zero euros yeah it's going to be free (laughs) but how much in dollars though is that uh i believe it's also zero dollars and zero zimbabwe uh dollars as well (laughs) excellent yeah so i actually have um (laughs) i have it up on our server dragon 
Maverick if you want to look at it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, uh, now, I have it going against the Splunk Talk analytics stuff, and I really don't care if you visit the web pages. I only care if you download the podcast. But um, I know we're using it at Splunk to get a view of what we're doing, and you're definitely going to want to look out for it. It's feature complete, not release complete, so they're working on it. I found some spelling errors in it, <laughs> and uh, there's other things that they're running through. But it's quite kick-ass, I got to say. So look forward to that coming in about a month, month and a half from the release of this podcast. And, uh, you know, if you were at user conference, it was awesome meeting you. If this gets released before, come on by and maybe uh, you can chat with us on Splunk Talk. So, yes. All right, cool. It's quite cool. I'll show you that thing later. So if you want to, so if you want to send uh, your questions into Splunk Talk at Splunk.com, that will get to us, and we can uh, do like we did today. We can talk about uh, your questions, even if it's more complex like uh, this one today. But or if you have simple ones, send those in too, and we will answer those and discuss them and talk about all this other stuff like normal on Splunk Talk at Splunk. And as always, we say happy Splunking. Happy Splunking. Happy Splunking.